I don't know if that song won't pump your chili. I'm not sure what's going to. There you go, Billy. I got it out there. <laughs> Thank you, Rhonda, for the song service. I got to thinking about this, and we hadn't discussed the music yet, but the first two songs dealt with how much I love you, Lord. The third song dealt with how much you love me, Lord, and what you did for me. And then the fourth song said what? Because we love him and because he loves us, so we have accepted him. One day, the Bible said, we will behold him face to face in all his glory. That's good news. No, that's better than good news. That's the great news of the gospel. That one day, as born again believers, we will behold him face to face and we'll see him in all his glory. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, let's, uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Um, uh, Brian, stars, buddy. Lord, I thank you because of your cross, Lord Jesus. There's peace in our hearts, in our lives, and peace with man. Lord, yes. We praise you. We believe that if you help our unbelief, Lord Jesus, for those areas that your word says, and that we grab a hold of your word just by faith. I thank you, Lord, for Pastor Don and Rhonda, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this place of gathering in America. Yep. For this country, Lord Jesus, to be awakened to your righteousness, to be forgiven of our sins, through faith in you alone, Lord Jesus. Help Pastor Don this morning through your anointing of your Holy Spirit yes. to preach yes. the power of you, Lord Jesus. And we believe it and we say amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Amen. Thank you, Brian. All right, we're going to uh, continue on here with uh, our series on the Bible, the Holy Bible. I told you today, proof positive that it is God's holy word. Uh, for the, this will be the third week that we've been working on this. And I told you three weeks ago what, uh, I guess besides the Lord that inspired me or motivated me to go along this road was that survey that was taken. And I just want to repeat that to you because that, the survey is just kind of just mind-boggling to me. Where they, and if you'll remember uh, what, they, what they surveyed, and, and they did 20, America, do you believe that by, the Bible is God's inspired word? Well, in America, only 20% said, yeah, it's his inspired word. Only 20%. And then if you remember, they talked about believers, born-again believers. And I'm going to put that in quotation marks, okay? Where only 40% of born-again believers said this, the Bible is the literal word of God. Born-again believers, which means 60% do not think it is the literal, literal word of God. 51% of born-again believers said that this book is the inspired Word of God. 49% of believers surveyed said this is not the inspired Word of God. 8% of born-again believers that were surveyed said this book right here is nothing more than a book of myths and fables. Whew! 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we've looked at this. We're going to look at it again today. All Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. So the Son of Man will be adequate, equipped for every good deed. 
All scripture is inspired by God. And you remember what we talked about there. That word inspired means to be God breathed. God breathed. And when God breathed out his scriptures, the Holy Spirit took those scriptures and implanted that truth into those people that wrote this book. And they wrote down word for word what the Holy Spirit was teaching them. How do I know that? Second Peter 1, 21 and, 20 and 21 says this. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke for God. Born again believers, how can you dispute those two verses? How can you say that the scripture is not inspired? How can you say that it was made up from some person's will or some people's thought process? If you can trust the Bible and and understand that the Bible is true, the Bible is absolutely true, then those two verses are absolutely true. Christians, we must stand on those verses and others. With that as the backdrop of today's message, we want to look at one more time God's Word. Proof positive that it is God's Word. That this Holy Bible really is God's Word. Why is it important for Christians to know that this really is God's Word, His love letter to us? Well, let me tell you, your salvation depends on understanding the message that's in His Word. Let me tell you that your assurance of eternity depends on how you understand God's Word. Your spiritual growth is determined by what you understand about God's Word and the power to proclaim His Word depends on your confidence that this Word is truly God's Word. Today I want to give you four proof positives, if you would, that this book that that we have truly is God's Word. The first one there, Dirk, that I want to put up there, the Bible is God's Word because of its scientific accuracy. The scientific accuracy. We know science changes, does it not? But God's Word never changes. We know what was science yesterday most likely is not science today. Science changes. There's a library in, the, in Paris, France. And in that library, they have three and a half million books on science that deals with the science of, of life. I'm here to tell you, almost every one of those three and a half million books are now obsolete. Science changes so much, but the Word of God does not change. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Some concepts here of science. We believe that the earth is suspended in space. We know that, don't we? But that's not always been the science, okay? That's not, people always didn't believe that. People didn't understand it. We do, but back in the day, they just didn't do that. The Egyptians believed that the earth 
was sitting on a bunch of pillars that held the, held the earth up. The Greeks believed that there was one man by the name of Atlas, and he held the world up. That was a science of its day. The Hindus had a little different twist to how the earth was, was hanging there in space. The Hindus would say, well, we believe that the earth is sitting on the back of some giant elephant. And this elephant is sitting on the back of some giant turtle. I mean, this is, you can't make this stuff up. And this turtle is sitting on the back of some giant snake who was just kind of swimming around out there in some cosmic sea. That's what they believed that science told them about the world. Well, if they had just read the Bible, they would have understood that none of that is right. Because you see in Job 26, 7, it says this. He said, He stretches out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. You see, if they had just read God's Word, they would know that the earth is just suspended out there. You see, the Bible is very accurate in its scientific explanations of things. How did Job know that? How did Job know that it is just suspended out there? All Scripture is inspired by God. Second thing that we know, the earth is round and not flat. Well, we know that, don't we? But in the day, they didn't know that. I mean, you've heard of Christopher Columbus... 1492, he sailed the ocean blue, didn't he? Well, a lot of folks didn't want him to go. You know, Ferdinand and Isabella, they weren't too fired up about it because the thought process was that the earth was not round back then. That if he sailed out so far into the ocean that he'd just drop off the face of the earth because there was an ending point out there. You see, they hadn't read the Bible either. In Isaiah, 750 years before Christ, he says in Isaiah 40, 22, he says this, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. The word circle in Hebrew means a sphere or a globe. If people had taken time to read the word and understand what the word says, they would have known that the world is round. You see the Bible, when it talks about science, it is very, very accurate. Another thing that we know is today that the stars cannot be counted. You can't count the stars. 150 years before Christ, there was a scientist and an astronomer who said, you know, I am going to count these, these things. So he probably went out in his backyard somewhere. Maybe he laid down or maybe set up. I don't know. And one night when it was dark, he started counting And he counted and counted until he, he got probably tired and his eyes probably got watered. And he came up with a number, and this was the science of its day. There were, did you know, 1,022 stars in the sky that he counted. For the next 250 years, that was the science of the day. And then along come another scientist. He said, man, that ain't right. That ain't right. There ain't it. So he decided he's going to count them. He said, man, that guy was crazy 250 years ago. 
He said, when I sat down there and counted them that one night, there was 1,056 stars. 34 more than the guy 200 years, 50 years ago counted. That was the science of the day. Along came Galileo, who made his big telescope, and stuck it out there and said, boy, there's a lot of them out there. There's a lot of them out there. The Journal of Science today says in the universe today, there are, like our sun today, that we have out there. He said the universe is so packed with suns and stars bigger than our sun. They said you would, it, it, it is more than, the, than the, the sand of the sea is how big our universe is. That is today's science. Well, what did they needed to do? Well, they needed to read the Bible. Did they not? Jeremiah thirty three twenty two says this. As the host of heaven cannot be counted. The host talks about the stars and the planets. Man cannot count them. You see, the Bible is very accurate in what it says about science. And just this morning, I got to thinking about that too as I was kind of looking this stuff over. You know, today, today, science, they were trying to tell us that a man can become pregnant. That's part of the science of today's thinking. Okay? No. Today, science will try to tell you that that little blob that's in that woman's womb is nothing more than just a blob. Well... They miss that one too. Psalm 139. I just want to read it to you. See, they think that's the science of today. But the science of God's Word is different than the science of today. That little blob that, that is laying there in the womb of that mother. In verse 13 of chapter 139 says this. He says, For you, God formed my inward parts that's not a blob you wove me in my mother's womb that's still not a blob I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made wonderful are your works you see that's the science of God's word right there uh, 15 my frame was, was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth your eyes have been have seen my unformed substance. Even before I was formed, your eyes saw me, God's word says in this science book. And in your book were all written the days that are ordained for me, yet when as yet there was not one of them. How precious are your thoughts of me, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. You see, science comes and goes. Science changes. But I'm here to tell you, God's word will never change. When the, when the society tells you, yeah, it's a, you can get pregnant, mister, or abortion is, is, should be legal, ladies, God's Word says something different, doesn't it not? I'm going to trust God's science instead of man's science. The biblical accuracy of this book is 100% correct. It is proof poverty that God's Word is right. The second thing I want to share with you real quick about, about the Bible, it, it is God's Word because of its great unity. His great unity. From Genesis to Revelation, it is perfection. 
There are 66 books, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. They were written by at least 40 authors in three different languages. They lived in 13 countries, three continents were the writers of this book. They were written by kings and paupers. They were written, it was written by fishermen and scholars and doctors and just people. And they all combined and wrote this book inspired by God. And they wrote it and this book became a collection. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how that would work today? Forty authors from, from every part of the world speaking different languages, having different thought processes. And, think, and coming up with a book that is absolutely perfect. A book that says there was one author. And that's God. A book that says there's only one hero, and that is Jesus. There is one book that has one theme, and that is redemption. There is one villain in this book, and that is the devil. You see what I'm saying? This is one purpose from this book, the glory of God. How can 40 authors from 1,500 years span get it all right? There was a master architect that controlled the writing of this book. Let me illustrate it this way. Suppose in Oklahoma, Governor Stitt said, I want to make a monument to all the 50 states. And he sends a memo out to every governor in the 50 states and says, I want, I want you to send me some rocks from your state. And all 50 rocks would be different. I mean, we have different rock here and different rock there. And I want you to crate these rocks up. And I want you to send them to Oklahoma. And, in, and when we get them to Oklahoma, we're going to assemble all these rocks. And we're going to make a monument of it. But I'm not going to tell you, if you, when you cut these rocks, if you cut them in squares or rectangles or circles or pyramids. I mean, this, you just whatever you want to do, you send me your rock. And I don't care how many you send me. Just send me something. Okay? 50 states began doing that. The workers here in Oklahoma uncrate these boxes and start putting this puzzle together, this monument together. And they take this, this one from Oklahoma and they take something from Texas and, and Ohio and Indiana and Maine and they, they start building this monument and once the last box gets in and they uncrate it and they, put the, they put, the, put the rocks all together, this monument fits perfectly. Every piece in this monument fits exactly where it's supposed to be. And there's no more extra rocks that were sent. There's, there's not enough rocks. The rocks didn't have to be shaved down. The rocks they sent were absolutely perfect. And you say, well, that's no way they could do that. Unless there was a master architect that sent the memo, said, this state make this like this. This state make it like that. This make... But there wasn't, was there? There was no architect. It was just by coincidence. How could that happen? Well, you know it couldn't. Unless there was a master architect. That's God's word. You see, that's what God's word looks like. The authors from around the world... 1,500 years, there had to be a master architect putting this book together. And that master architect is Jesus and his Father, God. This didn't happen. 
You think, well, it just happened. No, it didn't happen. Master architect did that. How could this be? How could this be? This book be like that? Well, all Scripture is inspired by God. That's how it can be that way. The third thing I want you to see real quickly: the book, the Bible, is the Word of God because of its fulfilled prophecies. His fulfilled prophecies. Prophecy is a, is a fact written in God's Word that something will happen someday. Either back in the day, today, or in the future. That's a prophecy. We're prophesizing this will happen. In the Old Testament, there's over 1,800 prophecies that will happen or have already happened. Over 700 subjects of prophecy in the Old Testament, covering 8,300 verses. You see, this book is a book of prophecy. How can that, how can that be? In the New Testament... In the New Testament, there's over, I mean, in the Old Testament, there is over 300 prophecies talking about Jesus and Jesus alone. And every one of those will be fulfilled one of these days. I'm reminded of the one prophecy in the New Testament that strikes all of us. One day I'm coming back for you, Jesus said. I'm coming back for you. I'm coming again. Keep looking. That is a prophecy that one day will be fulfilled. In Micah 5.2, hundreds of years before, before Jesus was ever born. In Micah 5.2, it says, this Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. How could Micah know hundreds of years before it happened that he would be born in Bethlehem? In Isaiah 7 and 9, in Isaiah 53 it talks about Jesus. And in, 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 in Isaiah 7, it talks about his early beginnings as a, as a child. Let me just read that to you just really quickly. It says in, in, in Isaiah 7, what a prophecy. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be born with child. And he will bear, she will bear a son and she will call his name Emmanuel. 750 years before Jesus was ever born, Isaiah is writing that. They will call him Emmanuel. God is with us. Let me tell you something about Jesus in his early days. It says he will eat curds and honey at the time. He knows enough to refuse evil and to choose good. Isaiah 7. Isaiah 9, it says, For a child will be born to us, a son given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Emmanuel. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. There'll be no end to the increase of his government. That is Isaiah 9, 750 years before Jesus is born. That is a great prophecy. In Isaiah 53, we read these words. He says, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. By his stripes we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on him. 750 years before Jesus. That is what Isaiah has written. How does that happen? How does that happen? All scripture is inspired by God. In Psalm 22, we get a picture of Jesus' crucifixion. A very vivid picture of the crucifixion, if you would. 
See, the only catch to what, what David was writing in, in 22 about the crucifixion, Rome had not come to power. Rome was not a powerful country as of yet. Crucifixion was not even on the board yet. Crucifixion was nothing that they used in Jesus when he was writing this. Stoning was what they used for capital punishment. And yet David, is, as he writes this, it's almost like he's there. I mean, he's just watching it happen because he writes in Psalm 22 and in verse uh, last part of 16 and 17. He says, they pierced my hands and my feet. I can, I can count all of my bones, it says. They look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far away. You are my help. Hasten to my assistance. You begin in reading in verse 11. It talks of his misery. How did, how did David know when crucifixion was not even around? How did he know what they were going to do to Jesus on that dreadful Friday night? All scripture is inspired by God. You can't cut it any other way. In Isaiah 53, 9 through 12, we'll, we won't read those to you. But it talks about him being crucified amongst two criminals. In, Isaiah, in Zechariah eleven twelve, it said Jesus would be betrayed with 30 pieces of silver. How can that be? How can they know this? How can these writers write that? Write that prophecy? All scripture is inspired by God. How do you get around that? You can't. All scripture has been inspired by God. What an awesome book that we get to hold in our hands and we get to read and meditate and ponder his holy word. The third thing, fourth thing I want you to see real quickly, the Bible is the word of God because of its power to change people. The power to change, the power to transform people. I read in, in, in Romans 1.16, written by Paul, that guy who was the worst sinner in the history of sinners, he would say. And he, he was transformed, he was changed by the power of the word as God changed him. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power unto salvation for all who believe to the Jew first and then the Greek or the Gentile. This Bible is living. It is active. This Bible is powerful. Hebrews 4.12 says it is more powerful than a two-edged sword. That's power. This book can rescue the perishing and care for the dying. This book can snatch people from sin and the grave. This book is powerful. This book is living. This book will never change. This book has been settled in heaven forever and forever and forever. This amazing book is saving or a salvation for the sinner. Did you know that? The message of this book will stir the conscience of a person. This book will convict the heart of a sinner. This book can convert the lowest sinner. That is the message of this book. Believe it. Trust it. It's an amazing book. This book is also sweet to the saint. You see, we read in this book how much God loves us. And we read in this book that there is absolutely nothing, Romans 8, 37, 38, and 39, that can separate us from the love of God. I don't know about you, but that's sweet. Sweet to the saints. Sweet to the believers. We read in this book that Jesus died for us so that we might have 
eternal life. We read in this book, the consequences of sin no longer apply to Christians because he paid the sin debt. We read in this book that we have a home in heaven one day as he's beginning to build our mansions even as we speak. And we also read in this book that he's coming back again someday to come back and get his bride, come get back and get his people. I don't know about you, but that is sweet to the saints as I think about that and I read on that. That's sweetness to the saints. The third thing that it is, it is sufficient for the sufferer. Sufficient for the sufferer. You see, we read in God's word and, and when things happen in our life, we can come in here and the message of God's word is I'll give you peace and comfort during the most difficult time. Yes. The Bible tells us that I will never fail you nor forsake you. The Bible says I am your refuge and your strength and your help in time of trouble. Therefore, Psalm 46 two says, do not be afraid. I don't know about you, but that is sufficient for the sufferer. He is near to us when we are suffering, the Bible says. The Bible says we are, he sees us when we're suffering. The Bible says he hears the cries of his people that are suffering. And he is near and he wants to help. The Bible tells us that there is a, the suffering of this present age is not worthy to be compared to the glory that God has for us, waiting for us when we get to meet him someday. I don't know about you, but that is sufficient for the suffering, and we find that in his, in his book. The last thing right there I want you to see is it is satisfying to the soul. This book is satisfying to the soul. Because you see, this book tells us how to have peace with God. This book tells us how to have the peace of God in our lives. Two of the greatest things ever. Peace with God and peace of God as we live this life. Satisfying to the soul. This book tells us that, that death, <laughs> where is your sting, death? Where is your sting, death? You no longer have a sting that is satisfying for the soul because he has dealt with all of that. And we move forward in the name of the Lord. Well, that's good stuff. Absent from the body, the Bible says. Present with the Lord. Absent from the body. Present with the Lord. I don't know about you, but that sure satisfies my soul. When I think about out there someday, and I know God will dispatch his angels to come and get me. And take me to the very presence of holy God. That's satisfying to my soul. Where do we find that information? We find it right here. And how do I know it's true? Because it is written. All scripture is inspiration from God. How could this be salvation for the sinner? Sweet to the saint. Sufficient for the sufferer. Satisfying to the soul. All scripture. All scripture has been inspired by God. Handed down to the prophets through the Holy Spirit. This book, this book will never disappear. This book will never go away. Because you see, his word is settled in heaven forever and forever. Do you trust what's in this book? Yes. Thank you. Do you stand on the promises of this book? Does this book impact your life? And change the way you live and to change the way you think and change your purpose in life. It's got to. 
If you're born again, it has to do that. If you're born again. 1 Peter 1.25 says this, But the word of the Lord endures forever. The Bible is scientifically accurate. The Bible is, has perfect unity because it's inspired by God. The Bible, it will fulfill every prophecy that is written in this book. And this book has a power to change a person's life. What do we are to do with His Word? We are to pray over His Word in His Word. We are to meditate on His Word. We are to know His Word. We are to be obedient to His Word. We are to proclaim His Word. Because see, this Word that we have here, this Word is timeless. Not the book of the month, it's the book of ages. This Word is absolutely true. Because the hero of this book is truth. That is Jesus. And His Word is absolutely true. This book is to be treasured because it is God's Word to us. We need to hold it close to our heart because of the valuableness of this book. How do I know all of these statements are true? How do I know the things that I've told you are true today? Because I know this. All Scripture has been inspired by God. All Scripture has been inspired by God. His Word has been settled in heaven since the beginning of time. It will never change. If you're looking for help, if you're looking for conversion, if you're looking whatever you're looking for, God's Word will have it in there. As we begin our invitation time, I just, I just can't get over the, the greatness of this book. I can't, I can't just tell you how great this book is. I guess my vocabulary is not big enough. <laughs> I hope it is the same to you as it is to me. I hope this book is so valuable to you that you take it wherever you go. That when the sirens go off, you go running for that book. Because this book, the message of this book, has the answers to life today. And has answers for eternity. And ultimately, what else, what else is there? Answers for here. Answers for eternity. Everything else is secondary. And we find it in the message of his words. As we begin our invitation time, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. The Bible is timeless. The Bible is truthful. The Bible is treasured. Is, that it? is the Bible to you that same thing? Are you going to spend time in his word? Are you going to meditate on his word? Are you going to know it and be obedient to it? Only you can answer those questions.